Hello, this is Father John Arthur, or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 39th installment on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. We're indebted to Professor Michael Waldstein, whose edition we're using. These are the 133 talks given by Pope John Paul II during the years 1979 and 1984. The Inner State of the Man of Concupiscence. We are reflecting on the following words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Whoever looks at a woman to desire her lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart, has already made her an adulteress in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Christ says these words to an audience that was in some way prepared for understanding the meaning of a look born from concupiscence. Already last Wednesday we pointed to texts drawn from the wisdom books. Here, for example, is another passage in which the biblical author analyzes the state of the soul of the man dominated by concupiscence of the flesh. Desire, blazing like a furnace, will not die down until it has been satisfied. The man who is shameless in his body will not stop until the fire devours him. To the impure man, all bread is sweet. He will not grow tired until he dies. The man who is unfaithful to his own marriage bed says to himself, Who can see me? There is darkness all round me. The walls hide me. No one can see me. Why should I be afraid? The Most High will not remember my sins. What he fears are human eyes. He does not realize that the eyes of the Lord are ten thousand times brighter than the sun. They see all the acts of men and penetrate into the most secret corners. Likewise, the woman who abandons her husband, who provides him with heirs received from a stranger. Sirach, chapter 3, verses 17 through 22. Analogous descriptions are not lacking in world literature. Certainly, many of them are distinguished by a more penetrating psychological insight and a more intense suggestiveness and expressive power. Yet the biblical description in Sirach, chapter 23, verses 17 through 22, has some elements that can be considered classical in the analysis of carnal concupiscence. One such element is, for example, the comparison between concupiscence of the flesh and fire. Flaring up in the man, it invades his senses, arouses his body, draws the feelings along with itself, and in some way takes possession of the heart. Such passion, springing from carnal concupiscence, suffocates the deepest voice of conscience in the heart. It suffocates the sense of responsibility before God. This suffocation is made especially evident in the biblical text just quoted. There remains, on the other hand, an external modesty in relation to human beings, or rather, an appearance of decency that manifests itself as fear of the consequences rather than of the evil in itself. Suffocating the voice of conscience, passion brings restlessness of the body and of the senses. It is the restlessness of the outer man. Once the inner man has been reduced to silence and passion, has, as it were, gained freedom of action, Passion manifests itself as an insistent tendency toward satisfying the senses and the body. 
This satisfaction, according to the criteria of the man dominated by passion, ought to extinguish the fire, but, on the contrary, it does not reach the source of inner peace, and only touches the most external levels of the human individual. And here the biblical author rightly observes that the man whose will is occupied with satisfying the senses does not find rest, nor does he find himself, but on the contrary, consumes himself. Passion aims at satisfaction, hence it blunts reflective activity and disregards the voice of conscience. And thus, since it has in itself no principle of indestructibility, it wears itself out. What is connatural to it is the dynamism of use, which tends to exhaust itself. It is true that when passion is set into the whole of the spirit's deepest energies, it can also become a creative force. In this case, however, it must undergo a radical transformation. If, on the other hand, it suffocates the deepest powers of the heart and of conscience, as in the account of Sirach, chapter 3, verses 17 through 22, it consumes itself, and the man who is prey to it indirectly consumes himself. Christ's call to halt at the threshold of the look. When Christ in the Sermon on the Mount speaks about the man who desires and who looks with desire, one can take it for granted that he had before his eyes also the images known to his audience through the wisdom tradition. Yet at the same time he refers to every human being who on the basis of his own experience knows what it means to desire, to look with desire. The teacher does not analyze this experience, nor does he describe it as, for example, Sirach chapter 23 verses 17 through 22 does. He seems to take for granted, I would say, a sufficient knowledge of that inner fact to which he draws the attention of his listeners, both present listeners then and potential listeners later. Is it possible that any of them could fail to grasp the issue? If he truly knows nothing about it, the content of Christ's words would not apply to him, nor would any analysis or description be able to explain it to him. If he does know, in this case we are, in fact, dealing with knowledge that is completely interior, located within the heart and conscience, he will immediately understand when these words refer to him. Christ, therefore, does not describe or analyze what constitutes the experience of desiring, the experience of the concupiscence of the flesh. One even has the impression that he does not penetrate into this experience in the whole breadth of its inner dynamism, such as Sirach, for example, does, but rather stops on its threshold. The desire has not yet transformed itself into an external act, it has not yet become an act of the body. It is still an interior act of the heart. It expresses itself in the look, in the way of looking at the woman. Yet it allows itself to be understood. It reveals its essential content and quality. We must now offer such an analysis. The look expresses what is in the heart. The look, I would say, expresses man as a whole. If one assumes, in general, that man acts in conformity with what he is, operari sequitur esse, 
operation follows being. In the present case, Christ wants to show that man looks in conformity with what he is. Interi sequator esse, looking follows being. Through the look, man shows himself on the outside and to others. Above all, he shows what he perceives in his interior. Christ teaches us thus to see the look as the threshold, as it were, of the interior truth. Already in the look, in the way one looks, it is possible to grasp fully what concupiscence is. Let us try to explain it. Lustful desiring, looking to desire, indicates an experience of the value of the body in which its spousal meaning ceases to be spousal precisely because of concupiscence. What also ceases is its procreative meaning. We have spoken about this meaning above, which, when it concerns the conjugal union of man and woman, is rooted in the spousal meaning of the body and comes forth organically as it were from it. So then, when man desires and looks to desire, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 and 28, he experiences more or less explicitly the detachment from that meaning of the body, which, as we have already observed in our reflections, stands at the basis of the communion of persons, both outside of marriage and in a particular way when man and woman are called to build the union in the body. As the Gospel of the Beginning says in the classical text of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the experience of the spousal meaning of the body is particularly subordinated to the sacramental call, but is not limited to it. This meaning is characteristic of the freedom of the gift, which, as we will see in more detail in the analysis below, can realize itself not only in marriage, but also in a different way. Christ says, Whoever looks at a woman to desire her, that is, whoever looks with concupiscence, has already committed adultery with her in his heart, has already made her an adulteress in his heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. Does he not mean to say thereby that precisely concupiscence, like adultery, is an inner detachment from the spousal meaning of the body? Does he not want to refer his listeners to their inner experiences of such detachment? Is it not for this reason that he defines it as adultery committed in the heart? And with these words, Pope John Paul II concluded his 39th catechesis, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. In order for us to understand these words of Pope John Paul II, it's important for us to keep them in their context. These are the Wednesday audiences, his weekly catechetical address to those who gather around the successor of St. Peter in Rome. Pope John Paul II is speaking to us about the words of Christ. First, how he appealed to the beginning in Matthew chapter 19. In this part, how Christ appeals to the human heart, specifically in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verses 27 and 28. Pope John Paul II has addressed the man of concupiscence in a whole section, where in the next section of his presentation, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body, the section on commandment and ethos commandments do this avoid that 
the commandments of God, not the ten suggestions, not pick three and forget the others. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. And when we love the commandments, when we keep the commandments by God's grace, this develops in us a certain ethos. In this section of the theology of the body is called commandment and ethos, a certain way of being, a certain way of doing things. In this case, doing things according to the will of God, the holy plan of God. So in the part we have heard today, Pope John Paul II is focusing our attention yet again on those words of Christ appealing to our human hearts, whosoever looks to desire. He speaks to us about the inner state of the man of concupiscence. He speaks to us of Christ's call to halt at the threshold of the look. There are different ways of looking, to look with affection, to look with pleasure, to look with disdain, to look with lust, to look disorderedly. Christ calls us to not have that disordered look, but to have a purified vision, so that we might behold him in that beatific vision on high forever. This, a brief overview of this 39th Catechesis. Now we'll look in detail. Again, it strikes me how some are said to have discounted the role of concupiscence in our Holy Father's thought. I don't know how that could be, because there's a whole section on concupiscence. But even in this part, which is not a part of the major section, the man of concupiscence, John Paul II nevertheless addresses repeatedly that tendency we have to sin, which is a consequence of original sin. The fall, suffering, death, ignorance, and a tendency to do evil, concupiscence. These are the sad inheritance that we have from our first parents. So Pope John Paul II, in this 39th Catechesis, reminds us that Christ's original audience was in some way prepared to understand the meaning of a look of concupiscence. The Lord Jesus, who is God, so he knows everything, he knew that those with whom he was speaking... While he was still yet on the earth, he knew they could understand what it meant to look upon another with concupiscence, to look to desire. And because human nature has not changed in the 2,000 years since the Lord's incarnation, what Christ knew then is still true today. Those of you who hear my voice, and me myself, every human person knows what a look born from concupiscence is a disordered look, even if we don't know the $5, the fancy word concupiscence, which only means that tendency to sin. Pope John Paul II draws our attention to sacred scripture in this regard, having before treated wisdom books. Again, he returns to the wisdom books of sacred scripture, the book of Sirach, chapter 23, verses 17 through 22. And Pope John Paul II reminds us that this passage of sacred scripture analyzes the state of the soul of the man dominated by the concupiscence of the flesh. Concupiscence of the flesh, a tendency to sin with the flesh, which can be gustatory. I am eating anything and everything in sight. Gluttony is another way of saying that. I am drinking every alcoholic beverage I can get my hand on. This is a concupiscence of the flesh, debauchery, drunkenness. But there is another concupiscence of the flesh, which is a big part of the theology of the body. And those are sins of the flesh, sins of lust, sins of carnality. The book of Sirach, chapter 23, verses 17 through 22, addresses the soul of a man dominated by 
the concupiscence of the flesh in this regard. It's a worthwhile passage to reconsider. But Pope John Paul II does not content himself merely with citing sacred scripture. He even, in a footnote, mentions St. Augustine in his Confessions, when St. Augustine points out how one who is bound by the deadly sweetness of carnality actually suffers the most excruciating pain, attempting to satisfy an insatiable concupiscence. To speak of an insatiable concupiscence is to say a tendency to sin which can never be satisfied. It's ravenous, like wolves. How beautifully poetic are Augustine's word, the deadly sweetness of carnality by which we are bound. Who is our liberator? Who is even sweeter but Christ our Lord, the bread come down from heaven? He and he alone, his grace and his grace alone, given to us through his sacraments of faith in the bosom of Mother Church, is our salvation who frees us from the bonds of sin and death. He alone is the one who satisfies us. He who is the bridegroom of Mother Church, Christ the Lord. And it is as the vicar of Christ the Lord that Pope John Paul II spoke these words, taught these teachings in his 133 catechesis, man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body. Pope John Paul II goes on in teaching us about this sad reality, which is a tendency to sin, a tendency to do evil, concupiscence, pointing out for us that concupiscence of the flesh is compared with fire. And while fire is great and can give light and warmth, it destroys. And this is how concupiscence is like fire. It is destructive and leads us to destructive behavior. Christ does not describe, Pope John Paul II points out, nor does Christ analyze the desiring or the experience of the concupiscence of the flesh. He takes it at face value. It's presupposed, because he knows us from the inside out. Pope John Paul II, however, who is not God, who serves the one true God, he is going to the trouble to analyze and to describe what it means, this concupiscence of the flesh, what the experience is, how to avoid it, what is its remedy. Pope John Paul II does, however, teach us that Christ taught us that the look is at the threshold of the interior truth, how, in the way one looks, it is possible to grasp fully what concupiscence is. Whoever looks with lust, whoever looks with a desire, disorder, desire upon the other, has already committed adultery in his heart. Those are the words of Christ. So Christ knows the power of a look. Christ does teach us that the look is at the threshold of the interior truth. Who is the way? the truth, and the life Christ Jesus. Who knows us better than we know ourselves? Christ Jesus, one with the Father and the Spirit, in whose image we are made, the divine image, male and female we are made, for each other, for communion, interpersonal communion, one human being to another, the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, them to their children, and us towards God, God who is an eternal communion of persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, without any disorder. There is no concupiscent desire in the Holy Trinity. So the more and more we are able to purge this disordered desire from our interpersonal relations, the more and more we are in the image of God. Christ teaches us that the look 
which is at the threshold of the interior truth, in the way we look at each other, it is possible to grasp fully what concupiscence is. We can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And one of the truths of the consequence of original sin is a tendency to sin called concupiscence, a disordered desire. In so many realms, in so many spheres of our lives, Christ has come to remedy this. Christ founded his church to remedy this. Christ raised marriage to the dignity of a sacrament between one man and one woman to save us from ourselves, to save us from the tendency to sin, which is concupiscence. There is a lustful desiring, looking to desire, which indicates an experience of the value of the body in which its spousal meaning ceases to be spousal precisely because of concupiscence, the power of the disordered look, destroying the reality made by God, the spousal meaning of the body. How damaging a look, how damaging a desire. Would that we were to gaze upon the other with the eyes of God. How does God see my brother, my sister, as an heir of heaven, as someone saved by the death and resurrection of Christ, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, by grace and faith and baptism? That's not a lustful look. That is a pure look in which the value of the body is recognized for its spousal meaning, for its true meaning, not merely as an object of pleasure or desire. Different ways of looking one in accordance with God's will, the other, quite the contrary, entirely opposed to it. Christ says, Whoever looks at a woman to desire her, that is, whoever looks with concupiscence, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Christ recognizes the disorder of the fall. Christ recognizes the disorder which exists in our interpersonal relationships. And that's why he preached his Sermon on the Mount. And that's why he climbed Mount Calvary with his cross, to win for us as the bridegroom of his bride mother church the grace we need to be the saints he's called us to be. This grace is made available to us every day in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, is renewed for us in the sacrament of penance, is stably given in the lived sacrament of holy marriage. Christ means that precisely concupiscence, like adultery, is an inner detachment from the spousal meaning of the body. In spirituality, detachment is something good. But in our anthropology, detachment from the spousal meaning of the body is a disorder, just like adultery in holy marriage is a disorder. Concupiscence is precisely that, a consequence of original sin, a disorder, a tendency to do evil. We're made to do good. We're made for good. We're made by the good God to mirror his own goodness in the world. Our first parents, with their original sin, messed things up, understatement. But we pray at the vigil of Easter, Oh, oh, oh happy fault. O necessary sin of Adam, which gained for us so great a Redeemer. And Christ is our Redeemer. He's come to redeem us from our tendency to sin, and not merely our tendency to sin, but our sinning. And in the context of this 39th Catechesis, 
man and woman, he created them, a theology of the body of Pope John Paul II. Christ Jesus has come to redeem us from our lustful desires, from our sinful way of looking at each other. Christ Jesus, our Lord, has come to save us from ourselves. But he will not save us without our cooperation, so he appeals to our hearts. It was not this way in the beginning. Adam did not look upon Eve with lust in his heart before the fall, nor did she look at him with lust before the fall. Whoever looks with lust, with desire, disordered desire upon the other, has already committed adultery in the heart. Christ appeals to our hearts, his sacred heart to ours. Be holy as the Lord your God is holy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so it is. Together with these words on concupiscence, on the tendency to do evil, the tendency to sin, which our Holy Father has addressed in this 39th Catechesis, he also speaks about passion and conscience. So here is a passage where Pope John Paul II ties all three together, concupiscence, passion, and conscience. Passion, springing from carnal concupiscence, suffocates the deepest voice of conscience. Passion is a rich term in theology, in our vocabulary of faith. It has a reference, of course, to the sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, Good Friday, his scourging, his agony, his crowning with thorns, his carrying the cross, his crucifixion, his death on the cross. This is the passion of the Lord. There is another understanding of the term passion, and that is a power of the soul, a desire of the heart, as it were. And so it's in that context that Pope John Paul uses it here. Passion springing from carnal concupiscence, a tendency to sin with the body, in our emotions, in our desires. This suffocates the deepest voice of conscience. Nothing can entirely deaden the voice of conscience, but passion disordered, carnal concupiscence, a double disordering of our body, suffocates, tries to kill the voice of conscience. And the Holy Father in his catechesis, the Lord Jesus Christ in his Sermon on the Mount, trying to awaken, trying to revivify, to resurrect an authentic voice of conscience, this is good, do this. This is evil, avoid that. This is Christ appealing to our human hearts. These are the words of Christ, spoken not to the angels, and not to the birds of the air, or the fish of the sea, or the beast of the land, but to you and I, to human beings, to men and women of every age, the same whom he came to redeem, to save. Pope John Paul II, again, speaks of the suffocation of the voice of conscience by passions, bringing restlessness of the body and of the senses, the restlessness of the outer man, distinct from the inner man. The desires of the heart, interior sins, often enough lead to activity with the body. Exterior man, interior man. Let us never allow our rightly formed consciences to be suffocated, to be deadened, to be silenced. Rather, let us kneel before the cross of our Lord. Let us examine sacred scripture, especially the 23rd chapter of the book of Sirach in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. Let us listen to the sure and certain teaching of Mother Church, not only in regards to holy chastity, marital chastity, but even 
in doctrinal matters, the divinity of Christ, the divine institution of the church, the divine institution of the sacraments. In this way, the truth of conscience, rightly formed, will resonate not only in our own hearts but throughout the world, and God will be all in all. Pope John Paul II does highlight that passions can become a creative force. Think of Mozart or Michelangelo or any of the great artists. They have a passion about what they are doing. Think of any of the great athletes. They have a passion about their sport. But disordered passion can also suffocate the deepest powers of the heart and conscience. And this is the warning word from the Holy Father, from Pope John Paul II. This is the warning word of Christ who appeals to our hearts. Do not look with lust upon another, lest you commit adultery in your heart. Until next time, God bless you.